Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Grover, and welcome to another episode of the Rip Roar Reds podcast. I'm not joined tonight by Jace. He's been working very, very hard, and so been unable to watch the Arsenal. But you've got me. I'm going to be talking about Brentford versus Arsenal in the Carabao Cup. We uh, narrowly uh, got the victory with a 1-0 win, and I'm going to be discussing that and all the talking points. Hopefully a relatively short episode, but let's get that intro music on, and then we'll get straight into it. Right, I'm going to move on uh, to the way we start every single episode of the Rip Roaring Reds, and that is with our Rip Roaring Review. Obviously going to head straight for me, and uh, my one today, uh, I suppose we're a few days now removed from the North London derby, and the biggest thing for me is now that all the dust has settled around that match and all of the analysis, all of the content, all of the social media has been kind of watched and uh, consumed over the last few days, I'm kind of uh, less uh, uh, catastrophizing as I probably was over the weekend. Um, having looked back and, and seeing, uh, in my eyes, the difference between how the, the Arsenal contingent and the Spurs fans have looked at that result is showing a, a clear difference in, in what to make of it. Um, Spurs fans, uh, you would have seen their content over social media. It was uh, it was over the top, if I was to be honest. Uh, they made a massive deal out about what is effectively a draw, uh, and they are still unbeaten. Um, but the fact is, it was a draw. They they did not win that match, and that they probably could have, to be honest. And and the fact that they've made a real big deal about that draw, whereas to them it felt like a victory, to Arsenal it felt very much like a loss. And that kind of shows, I suppose, the gulf in uh, of difference between the two clubs at this point in time. How Arsenal are looking at games like that as uh, as winnable, must win, and should have won. And really, we kind of reflect on that two-all draw as as a loss, and and Spurs are looking at it as a victory. Um, but for me, now that I've kind of allowed myself to calm down and get off the ledge, as Jason would put it. Um, I'm kind of not happy with the result, but I've made my peace with the result and kind of allow that to kind of uh, wash over me now. Moving on to uh, a, a more important game, I would say, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend against Manchester City, of which if we have uh, some of our key players back in Declan Rice, Thomas Partey, Leah Trossard, Martinelli, um, there's hope that most of those players will be back for that match. And if they are, then that really is going to be a real, real test uh for us a much bigger test than than spurs is and was and you know if we uh put bournemouth to the sword and then we put in a great performance and get some points against manchester city the whole 2-2 draw would have been uh forgotten about so for me dust has settled i'm over it i'm quite happy uh now that we've moved on uh they looked at it like a win and it wasn't we looked at it like a loss and it wasn't and at the end of the day that two will draw was relatively fair so now I'm going to move on uh, to talk about uh, tonight's game uh, against Brentford. Uh, so at the GTEC Community Stadium, Arsenal uh, pulled a 1-0 victory with a Reese Nelson goal on the eighth minute. And in reality, it was, uh, as this segment calls, a real game of two halves. 
Um, in the first half, Arsenal were the the superior side uh, throughout the game. Um, that first half in particular, we, we really did uh, kind of pile on the pressure. We we kept them penned in their half. Um, we allowed them to effectively create nothing. I think they had no shots on target in the first half. And uh, we really should have put the game to bed uh, earlier on than we, we, uh, than we did. The issue I see with Arsenal is we do this quite a lot at the moment where we kind of take our foot off the gas a little bit and don't allow ourselves to really um, put games to bed. And we had the opportunity in this game um, to do that. And for me, it was really Eddie Nketiah who embodied our, our inability to close off games. Um, this was kind of a game that you would look at on paper and kind of say that it suits Eddie and Ketio. We've uh, spoken a lot on previous pods about how this type of opposition is probably more suited to Eddie and Ketio's game. Um, he is not necessarily the the striker that you would pick for the, the top six opponents. Um, he would find uh, less aggressive, less physical opponents easier to play against. And I would say this was certainly a game that suited him more so. And the fact that he, he did have an OK game, it wasn't uh, by any stretch of the imagination a decent game by his standards. Ultimately, he didn't get a goal. And that's really the measure of success for a number nine. Um, then he had a relatively poor game uh, and he could have been able to kind of do a lot more than he actually did. On the flip side of that, there's two players I really wanted to call out who I think performed uh, much better in this game, particularly in the first half, which was Emil Smith-Rowe and Reese Nelson. Now, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe is coming back from a significant injury. He's played three cameo appearances in the Premier League so far this season to a grand total of probably like 20 to 30 minutes in total. Um, in reality, to jump into this game and, and do a full 90, which he was relatively close uh, to doing, is quite um, a good indication of where his recovery is at. I don't think he's at full fitness. I don't think he's at full tilt yet. But I think in this game, he showcased his ability to move around in tight spaces he showed his ability to be relatively uh, physical and dynamic in that kind of number 10 position. He created chances for himself um, and he played quite a pivotal role in unlocking that defence early on in the game. Um, Reese Nelson, who I also just briefly mentioned, had also obviously grabbed the goal. But every time Reese Nelson comes on or plays in a game, um, he always seems to... Uh, really be a driving force in trying to pull and push Arsenal forward in any game that he plays in. He's been a real strong impact substitution in the games that he has come off the bench. And even in this game, I really feel he's probably our most direct uh, and damaging player of the uh, starting 11. Every time he gets the ball, uh, you know, I, I, he always wants to move forward. And I'll talk a little bit about a player that doesn't do that in a second. But Reese Nelson had a particularly strong game. I think he did very, very well. Um, he took his goal with a um, really, really good finish. Uh, and I, the reason why I'm bringing up these two in particular, it just begs the question from the weekend, why did Arteta tinker to the point where he put Jesus out on the left wing and Eddie Nketiah through the middle? I look at these uh, these players now, particularly Reese Nelson, and I just can't understand why Reese Nelson didn't start at left wing and Gabby Jesus start through the middle. 
that that makes the most sense to me. And you could argue once again that Emil Smith Rowe could also play in that left wing position. Fabio Vieira could also play in that left wing position. There are so many options, and the fact that he's tinkered to it within uh, to a point where it doesn't necessarily make sense for us in, in that starting eleven. You read it on paper. Even I read it on paper. Uh, being Saka, Eddie, and Jesus, and thought, you know what, that that sounds quite tasty. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that I don't think that game was suited to Eddie and Ketta. It was far more suited to a direct player in Gabby Jesus. And I think during this game against Brentford, Reese Nelson showcased why he should have been given uh, a starting berth. Um, I don't think that uh, Trossard or Martinelli will be at full match fitness. Uh, I don't think they've trained um, with the team as of yet. And so I would envisage that we're going to have to do something again against Bournemouth. Now, whether Arteta sticks with his guns, which we've been known as a manager that he does do quite often, um, the likelihood is he might start that same uh, Eddie and Ketia um, and Jesus on the left. However, Saka has also not trained with the squad, which might also throw a bit of a spanner in the works. And um, with that, we could look at a potential Nelson, Eddie, Jesus, but like I say, I, I kind of imagine that Saka is made of uh, adamantium or something. He just seems to roll through injuries like nobody's business. He starts uh, an crazy amount of games. Even if he hasn't trained yet, I can still envisage that he actually starts that game, which is crazy. Um, but we do have options. I just look at this game against Brentford, look at the performance of Reese Nelson in particular, and wonder how he didn't get um, a starting berth against Spurs. Um, so I do hope that he does get that against uh, a lower opposition in Bournemouth. And that's no disrespect to Bournemouth, but looking at their position in the table, um, it's, it feels like a game that Reese Nelson can kind of step into. During the first half as well, just wanted to talk a little bit about the defence. Um, this was quite a ramshackle back four um, based upon that we don't have enough depth in that position with some of the injuries that we've got to be able to field a second string uh, defence. We still had the likes of Gabriel, who was playing, Ben White, who was playing. You know, we do have options um, that we didn't choose uh, to go with. And I think that that ramshackle back four did have vulnerabilities. Um, I do think that uh, they were caused some problems in the second half, which I'll get to. Um, but generally speaking, I think the communication against that back four, the um, ability to move and shape themselves together as a unit wasn't there. And uh, Brentford found a lot of space uh, over the top, as other teams have done uh, previous to them, such as Manchester United, and be able to exploit our frailties and gaps when we push on and allow teams to kind of cut in behind us. And that was really obvious, particularly in a game here where Kirior, um was really pushing crazy high. Tommy Yasu was pushing really, really high too. Maybe uh, much higher than I've seen other of our defenders in previous games play. I think we gave Brentford far too much credit and allowed them to play a bit more of the football that we really shouldn't have. Um, I want to talk a little bit uh, about some of the second half, because um, that's where the game really did turn on its head. Um, the second half was all Brentford. There was a phase of play for about 20 minutes where they, they had all of the ball. They were penned in our final third and we just couldn't get out. Our passing was incredibly sloppy and we became really, really worried 
every time they had the ball and every time we got the ball back and managed to recover, we would effectively boot it long and, and did nothing else of worth with the ball um, at our feet. I had many heart and mouth moments. And I think the only saving grace of this second half is that Brentford were incredibly wasteful, incredibly wasteful. Uh, particularly Wiesa, he, he wasted, uh, a, 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 frankly, an unforgivable amount of shots. Um, they had a higher XG than us this game. They had more shots on target and they all came in the second half. As I said, in the first half, I don't think they had even one shot on target. But over this game, they had uh, 17 shots in total to our 10 and they had five shots on target to our three. Uh, they they did out XGS by, I think, something like 0.1 or 0.2. Um, so overall, they they actually would feel unjust in this game in that second half. Um, because they had um, so so much of the ball and so many opportunities, it kind of does feel um, unjust to them to not get anything from this game. But that's where I want to take this next part, because Ramsdale staked his claim on that number one jersey. There's been a lot of talk, both in the media, on socials, on this podcast, about what the inclusion of David Rea is doing to both the mental uh, attitude of Aaron Ramsdale, but also just to the general team cohesion, you know, what he's brought in to kind of do. Um, there's been a lot of talk about whether Aaron Ramsdale uh, is is good uh, with his shot stopping. Uh, that seems to be the biggest um, uh, downfall of his ability. I think we talked about this previously in somewhere. He was sitting somewhere like 17th in the league. Um, by comparison to others. Um, and the second part was his distribution. I think we've seen in the early few games that uh, David Rea has played, um, his distribution uh, is is far superior on paper to uh, Aaron Ramsdale's. However, that percentage did seemingly go down against Spurs, but actually still better than Aaron's. But during this game, it has to be said that Aaron Ramsdale did a particularly good job um, he did uh, had some good passing throughout. He had some good long balls throughout. We did seem to be playing the long ball more uh, than ever during this game in particular. We, we didn't play out from the back as maybe often as we usually do. I would put that down to the fact that we did have quite a different back four. And so I feel that those four together would be probably relatively unconfident in pushing out from the back. So we did play the long ball quite often. Um, I don't know what the rate of percentage completion would be, but I imagine it'd be pretty high. Um, Aaron Ramsdale did have pretty good um, with the ball at his feet, but he also did make some some relatively critical saves, um, particularly the one to uh, deny Onyeka, who I think went against the post. Um, there were some just two really important saves in the second half in the 65th and the 77th minute. Um, and without... Without those saves, uh, we were going to lose this match and he kept us in this match. Um, he also did uh, the usual Aaron Ramsdale stuff. Um, there was a lot of uh, away fan, uh, sorry, uh, Brentford fans behind uh, him during that second half, giving him a lot of stick, um, saying you're just a, a rubbish David Breyer, you know, the old your, uh, your shit on the punts. Um, giving him a lot of stick. And as Aaron Ramsdale usually does, he gave that stick back. As soon as he made those good saves, he turned around and gave the um, the fans something to shout about, um, as we've seen before. Uh, at least during this game, he was able to back it up. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's really early to tell. 
But particularly during uh, this stint between the sticks against Brentford, he really did showcase the ability that someone coming in and putting pressure on your position can make you a better player. It doesn't necessarily have to mean the end of your time at a club. It also doesn't have to mean the end of your um, ability and for you to down tools. I think that I've said before, I'd love Aaron Ramsdale to look at this as a way to push himself on, bearing in mind that Aaron Ramsdale is younger than David Rea and still has some growth. He has a ceiling that I would say is probably higher than David Rea's, dependent on how the next couple of years goes and if this was anything to go by he started really really well in taking some of that form uh forward wanted to talk a little bit about uh some extracurriculars uh the main uh extracurricular i suppose i wanted to talk about was the elephant in the room which is kai havertz i've just had a quick look on social media just to kind of see where people's heads are at and once again uh, Kai Havertz is splitting opinions um, right down the middle and um, feels a very yin and yang performance where some people will look at it and say it was a good performance. All that he needed was uh, a goal or an assist, which an assist almost did come. Reese Nelson just flashed at the ball and it did go slightly wide, um, could have finished that and maybe all could have been forgotten, but it wasn't to be. Um, and then others are saying that, uh, you know, and this is where I, I suppose my uh, camp is at the moment. What Kai Havertz is doing is nothing special. It is nothing extraordinary. It is nothing dynamic. It is purely okay. And for £65 million, pounds, and I know that maybe you could concede and kind of put the price tag to the side, um, but he's been bought in to replace Granite Xhaka. Granite Xhaka last year had an absolutely unreal season. His output was fantastic. His uh, ability and capability in making those runs into the box was fantastic. And ultimately, Kai Havertz has been there to, to replace that position. Maybe not in the same output and maybe not in the same way, but that's the kind of direct comparison that we're making right now, is that that's the position he's playing in. And for me, the, the most pressing issue with, with Kai Havertz that's making me really concerned is, is just his instincts. His instinct is to go backwards or to go sideways. He really uh, is frustrating me in particular because he just has no desire to do anything different. He is uh, ultimately a safe bet. He does all of the normal things you'd imagine someone of his position to do, and he does them okay. Now, is that something that you really want in a team that should be pressing for the league? I'd argue no. Um, this is now his eighth game without a goal or an assist um, playing in that position. Uh, and for me, that's just not good enough. Um, I think I've seen enough at this point in time to say that he needs to now uh, go to the bench. I can't see what Arteta is seeing in him as a player that is selling him on the idea that he needs to keep continuing playing in that position. Um, I felt that this game in particular was an, a one that we could have tested Havertz as the nine. In, in the segments of games where he has come through as the nine, he's actually done, I think, better than he has performing at that left eight role. And yeah, I'm just really concerned. His, he flashes at shots. He has no confidence. He has no conviction when he's taking shots. And it really is um, sticking out to me like a sore thumb. He loses possession really easily. He gets muscled off the ball really, really easily. He doesn't dribble. He doesn't take on players. And I, I really want to be wrong. I've said this before when I've been in the ground. The crowd wants him to do well. 
I would love him to do well. I would love him to come good. But right now, it's looking like an absolute shocking signing. Um, I know I am likely over-egging this. It's eight games in, and maybe I'm talking far too abruptly about his ability to play in this system. And it's a lot to take on. It's a lot to learn. Um, but, you know, th those backwards, those sideways passes, the really lackadaisical nature of his play is really concerning me. And I feel there are other players who would be chomping at the bit for an opportunity, like your Fabios, like your ESRs, like um, all the other players that we kind of, Reese Nelson, that was, you know, had a really good game here that could, could be pushing on. And, you know, for me, it kind of feels that his time has come and now gone. It's some time to give someone else an opportunity. And if that, you know, it, we can always fall back to habits should we need to. But ultimately, I've seen enough, I think, from the first few games where, you know, I just don't think it's worthwhile and continuing um, with this experiment. That was mainly it. Uh, I am off on holiday from tomorrow. So the likelihood is that I'll be missing the uh, Bournemouth game, but I'll try and reconnect with Jason to see if he would like to go through that podcast on his lonesome like I did on this one and talk to yourself like you're a mental person. Um, but uh, if he doesn't, we might try and look to record that on Monday. So if I don't speak to you before, then thank you very much for tuning in. If you're watching this on YouTube, please do give us a like and a subscribe. If you have any questions or comments, please do add them. If you're listening to us on your podcast provider of choice, then please uh, do leave us those five-star reviews on Spotify and on Apple Music because they really, really do help us uh, reach uh, a better and bigger audience. Thank you very much for joining me, and I'll speak to you again uh, very, very soon.